Hi everyone, I'm Krina and this is the Krina Okomos Show. This is an interview series with people that I admire and really made a change in my life. We are exploring questions about life, dreams, how to be more healthy and happy and learning how to deal with pain, pressure and challenges in the private or professional life. I really hope you take a nuggets of wisdom or two and you are improving your own life for the better. I'm super happy to let you know that on today's podcast, I'm speaking with Justin Michael Williams. Justin is an author, transformational speaker and top 20 recording artist who has become a pioneer voice for diversity and inclusion in wellness. From growing up with gunshots holes outside of his bedroom window to sharing the stage with Marian Williamson and Deepak Chopra, Justin knows well the pain of adversity and the power of healing to overcome. He has been featured by the Wall Street Journal, Grammy.com, Billboard.com, The Avocate, Yoga Journal, with his groundbreaking book, Stay Walk, and over a decade of teaching experience Justin's message of hope and empowerment has spread to more than 40 countries around the globe, particularly through his national Stay Walk Give Back Tour, bringing mindfulness to youth in underserved communities. He dedicated to use his voice to serve and make sure all the people of all backgrounds have access to the information they need to change their lives. Before our interview, he suggested having together an intention that we should speak exactly what people need to hear this time, to awake your life. I really hope that this special interview helps you to be more confident about who you are and never, never give up of your dreams. Someone once told me the definition of hell And it's that on the last day you have on earth, the person you became will meet the person you could have become. The person you became will meet the person you could have become. And I think so many of us feel that. We know that there's something inside of us, whether it's about our bodies or about our relationships or about our jobs or about our art or about our businesses or about our children or about whatever. We have these different things in our lives that we close our eyes and we know that there is more that we can be expanding and pressing into. And my mission in the world through my music, through my teaching, through meditation, through all of it, is to help wake that up in people and make them realize that they are enough that they're worthy of it, despite their trauma, despite what they've gone through, no matter what color their skin is, no matter who they love, that you are worthy and you are enough and you deserve to live in the fullness of who you really are. That is your birthright. And now let's get to my conversation with the amazing Justin Michael Williams. Hello, my dear Justin. Welcome to my podcast and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Kalina. It's so exciting to be talking with you. Yeah, I'm so happy and thank you for your time. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about the beginning. And um, 
I found something that was uh, re- really triggered me, and I'm very curious to know more about it. When you were younger, you always wanted to be a singer, right? Mm-hmm. But lifetime of being bullied and teased and abused made you to give up of your dream. Yeah. Then after a seminal moment with your dying grandmother, you woke up. I would like to hear more about this story, mm. the discussion with your grandma. Yeah, this is a big one. So several years ago, you know, my grandmother, who in my family we call my baka, and it's not for any great reason other than I'm the eldest in our family. And um, when I was a little kid, a baby, my family was trying to teach me to say grandma and they would go say grand and I would say grand and they would go say ma and I would say ma and they would go say grandma and I would go baka. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and so she became baka. But what's really weird about that actually, Karina, is I just found out like a month ago that baka actually means grandma in Serbian and in a few other languages. And so I think I was channeling something at one years old then. But anyways, you know, going, yeah. So going back to the story, it, um, you know, several years ago, my Baca was diagnosed with stage four cancer and the doctors told her she only had a couple months to live. Mm, I'm sorry. And it was, it was tough, you know, and, and when this happened, it was a huge shock to our family. She was seemingly healthy, very active, 67, which I don't consider old, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I flew home to Northern California, where I'm from, to the Bay Area. I was living in LA. And I walked in the door. And as soon as I opened the door and walked through, there was a whole bunch of people at the house, a whole bunch of family members. And she just grabbed me by my hand and very quietly, without saying a word, pulled me back into her room and closed the door and sat me down and asked me a question that literally changed the trajectory of my entire life. She said, if you were in my shoes and you knew you were going to die in two months, what would you do? And I looked at her and I was like, what? Like, you know, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Like I just landed on the plane and I'm thinking, you know, she's dying. Like I'm not dying. I mean, we're all dying, but I was hoping, you know, hopefully I was dying slower than she was. And, and I just was like, what are you talking about? And she said, get quiet, get still, close your eyes, do that meditation thing you always talk about and don't answer until you're telling me the truth. If you were in my shoes and you knew you were going to die in two months, what would you do? And I just instantly felt this well of emotions just come up inside of me. And I just blurted out, I would quit every single thing that I'm doing and I would record an album. I would do music. And she looked at me and she said, I know. Baby, I know. That's exactly how she said it. And... The thing is, I had, like you like you said a moment ago, I, I had always wanted to do music ever since I was a little boy, but I let all the kids who teased me at school, I got bullied really bad as a kid, and who teased me about being gay or being different or being black or being this, you know, make me think I sucked at everything and I stopped myself. And I think we all have these things. We all have these dreams 
for our lives that feel too big for us. These dreams in our lives that we feel like are not for us because we think we're too fat or too old or too ugly or too gay or not good enough, or we waited too long, or we should have done it before we had kids, or we didn't study that, or we don't have the degree yet, or you know, people like us don't do that. That's for other kind of people or for rich people or for those people. And we, we stop ourselves from stepping forward into the lives that we know we were born to live. And when my grandmother asked me that question, the truth is it woke something up inside of me that I thought was gone. I had given up music altogether. I had, hadn't done it since I was a kid. And, um, and I, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert has this great book named Big Magic. And I always remember that she says in that book and another, it also says it in The Alchemist, um, which is an amazing book that, you know, our dreams, they never give up on us. They're just waiting there, sometimes quietly, just waiting for us to turn toward them and say yes. And in that moment, my grandmother made me promise her that I would do it. And you know, you don't break promises to your grandma. So at least I don't. And so, and so I promised and I started on this incredible, deep, hard, difficult, soul wrenching, you know, inner critic, like thinking I wasn't good enough journey of putting out my first album. And it took about three years and I put it out and it ended up charting in the top 20 of iTunes, which was really amazing and amazing. unexpected Congratulations, and Justin. Yeah, and changed my life. So that's the, that's the story of how this all kind of began. So beautiful. Did you, um, on this album, album, did you dedicate one of the songs to your um, grandma, to Baka? I did, I did. It's my first single was dedicated to her. It's called Here With Me, actually. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm in tears now. <laughs> so beautiful. Thank you. And you know what is crazy? The only thing that we know for sure is that we will all die once and can happen maybe tomorrow, but yeah. somehow we don't want to see that. And it's such, so, such a pity that uh, somehow we don't, we don't think in a positive way of this topic in order to really um, fulfill our dreams. Yeah. You know, there's this quote that I often say when I'm out speaking and teaching now um, that my grandmother, when she said that to me, this quote kind of flew in front of my mind. And this is the quote. It's an anonymous quote, by the way. So there's unfortunately no one to credit to, but this is it. It says, someone once told me the definition of hell. And it's that on the last day you have on earth, the person you became will meet the person you could have become. The person you became will meet the person you could have become. And I think so many of us feel that. We know that there's something inside of us, whether it's about our bodies or about our relationships or about our jobs or about our art or about our businesses or about our children or about whatever we have these different things in our lives that we close our eyes and we know that there is more that we can be expanding and pressing into and my mission in the world through my music through my teaching through meditation through all of it is to help wake that up in people and make them realize that they are enough that they're worthy of it despite their trauma despite what they've gone through no matter what color their skin is no matter who they love that you are worthy and you are enough and you deserve to live in the fullness of who you really are. That is your birthright. Mm. So beautiful and so true. I hope 
we can really open the ears and really get this message because at the end it's so simple but so important and um, I um, I recently met um, people that they really gave up of their dreams because the people around they said oh like you mentioned before you cannot do this you are crazy or they just gave up of the dream and mm-hmm. um, made me so sad and uh, I'm really happy that now we are having I'm having this topic with you cannot be a better person than you, Justin, to talk about this. Um, and besides what, um, what you mentioned before, if I'm on the stage when I really gave up of my dream, but it's still there, what should be other steps that we should take on, on with us? What, what we can do, really, besides what we just discussed now? Mm, so steps to take to start living into our dream is what you're asking mm-hmm. me, right? Exactly. Um, so I'll say something that people might not expect. And, um, you know, so often when we're stepping into our dream or our vision for our lives, so many of us get caught up in trying to make the vision come true exactly as we see it in our heads. And if it doesn't come to us in exactly the way that we see it in our minds, then we end up dismissing sometimes the very step that we need to take to take us forward on our journey and on our path. And let me explain what I mean by that. What matters most is not your vision coming true exactly as you see it, but who you become in pursuit of your vision. Who you become in the process is what really matters. And and oftentimes when we get stuck on what it looks like, we end up blocking ourselves from the process of becoming because we stay stuck in one spot and we're not moving. So I'll give you a very personal example that I, I haven't shared very often. So when I gave up everything and started trying to do music i had stopped teaching altogether like i literally stopped teaching and teaching is i think one of my greatest greatest gifts maybe even in some ways more than music and i just was like no i'm gonna stop teaching i'm just gonna focus on music and i was like pushing and pushing and my album charted and then after that i was like pushing and pushing and pushing like trying to make this music career come to life and and trying to get as many big shows as i could and do all these things. And it was this force. It felt felt like I was forcing, swimming upstream, trying so hard. And I would have little successes here and there, but it was this trying. And you know that you're out of flow with your life when you feel that sense of pushing. You know, one of the greatest things that we can do is find the find what is happening in our lives and get into the flow and then express our purpose through that. And so What happened for me is I ended up booking this huge national tour opening for a big, 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 well-known Grammy award-winning artist. And a few months before the tour, it got canceled. And the whole thing got canceled, like not just my part, but the whole thing. And I had spent thousands of dollars rehearsing with my band and thousands of dollars on wardrobe and thousands of dollars on all this stuff that I thought I was going to be getting back from the tour. And so then I was in debt, a lot of debt, like tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And I didn't have any more money to put into pushing forward with music. Like literally the universe was like, you have to stop. 
Like, cause if you don't have funding, you can't really move. And so I stopped and I was depressed and I was like, I don't understand why I'm here. And in that pause, in that year long pause, I got asked to write my first book. And at first I didn't want to write a book. I was thinking, I don't know if I should write a book, but I started teaching again originally just because it was the way that I was making money before. And I, and I love it too, but it was also one of the reasons why I started. So I'm telling all of this to say this, I write the book, the book comes out, I go on my book tour and I start singing on the book tour. So I brought music and infused it into the book and released a song called I Am Enough with my book. And I realized in that moment when I was on stage in front of 3000 people on my book tour, that I was now singing and doing the very thing that I had wanted to be doing the whole time I was just trying to do music. And it didn't look the way that I thought originally. I would have never guessed that my biggest shows as a musical artist would come on my book tour, but it showed up in my way of service. And when I really surrendered and brought all of my gifts forward, when I welcomed my teaching back, that is what actually unlocked my career for my music. And so you have to let go of it looking exactly how you imagine it's going to look so that you can open up to the universe showing you that it has a bigger plan for you than you might even know to expect for yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. Of course. Because you mentioned about the book. If you allow me, I would like to read something from your book um, mm -hmm. mentioned by John Kabazin. Yeah. The world needs all its flowers and you are one. Whether for personal stress reduction or a greater sense of belonging and being beautiful and okay as you are, or for catalyzing racial, social, and economic justice in our time, this book could be a godsend, a portal into embodied clarity, wakefulness, meaning, and action. Enter, 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 and trust in your capacity to flower in your own way for the sake of the world. Oh, when I read this, <laughs> oh, I have to say I love this book. Thank you. And uh, congratulations. And I have so many questions, but um, I try to really select the ones that really, really trigger me, if it's okay. Please. And the first one is, it's very interesting how you decide to launch your book. Mm. And... I would like to tell us a little bit more about this. Because You're talking about really, the tour that I went I on with the kids. I talk about the tour and yeah. about giving back. and Yeah. yeah. So, so first of all, the, the name of the book, because I don't know if we've said it so far for people who are wondering, is it's called Stay Woke, A Meditation Guide for the Rest of Us. And you can find it anywhere um, that, that books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever. I will and, make sure to link it. And thank you okay. so much for the call. Beautiful. Thank you. And... I'm just super grateful for it. It's such a gift from my heart. And, you know, when we put out the book, I my intention with writing a meditation book in particular was to bring meditation and mindfulness to all of us, to those of us who sometimes feel overwhelmed with obsessive thinking, for those of us who sometimes feel stuck and not in a way 
to spiritually bypass, but to really step into the fullness of our lives. And so when the book came out, you know, the subtitle being a meditation guide for the rest of us, my publisher said, hey, we're going to go on this book tour. And they had this plan to take me to all these privileged, you know, neighborhoods that were really, you know, bougie and expensive and Upper West Side in New York and, you know, these different little places. And I was like, great, we can go there, but that's not going to work. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, I'm writing this book for the rest of us. And the rest of us are not in a bookstore in the Upper West Side. And so if we're going to really have an impact with this book, if we're going to really take meditation out of the spiritual echo chamber and bring it to the people who desperately need us and need not just us, but need this practice to help wake up their lives and awaken themselves then let's, instead of going to the most privileged neighborhoods, let's go to some of the most marginalized and impacted neighborhoods with minority students. And let's go to high schools and let's go to colleges and let's give the book away for free to tens of thousands of kids and do a big event where we're teaching them how to meditate and give them a 40-day program totally for free after so that we're not just coming in and taking videos and saying, look at us, we're saving the kids. And then we leave, like, let's really help them. Mm -hmm. And my publisher said, yes. And so we've raised 200, over $200,000 to go to, originally it was going to be 20 schools um, in person, but now it's virtual. And so what's cool about it being virtual is it expands everything. Like we were going to go to 20 schools. Now we can go to 50 and we're actually trying to get to more schools and we're also still raising money. And so for anybody who might want us to do a virtual event at their school or who might want to even donate to help bring us to their city, or um, it only costs eight American dollars, U S dollars per child to help support a student. And so the website for that is staywokegiveback.org. It's staywokegiveback.org. And all the donations are tax deductible. It's with my publisher's foundation. And it's a huge gift for us because I know we all believe that everyone deserves to have access to the information they need to change their lives. And we together as a community can make that happen if we choose to. So beautiful. I really make sure to to add all these links um, uh, on the podcast. Uh, Thank you. And uh, I really hope that uh, you can get more support for my followers. Thank you, Karina. Tell me, how was the reaction of the kids? How how <sighs> how they how they are receiving this topic? Because I think it's so important. And you know, I have a little girl, and I'm all the time thinking why I didn't learn all the things that I'm learning now on her age she's seven yeah. and yeah. why we don't have these kind of topics at the school I mean this should be <laughs> the starting point of yeah um many things in the education how they were reacting to the, so you would be shocked the children are amazing they this is what they need they they are not going to practice mindfulness and meditation in the exact same way that we are as adults mm -hmm. there in some ways it is the same, but in other ways, there's a different entry point for them. There's a different way to get them interested. And so, you know, when we go, it's music and lights and, you know, like really engagement. And we're asking the kids, who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? And a seven-year-old will even tell you, even if it's an astronaut, you know, whatever they, they mm -hmm. know already. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that I found 
the kids are more capable than we sometimes think they are. Mm -hmm. And so we hold back on thinking they're not ready to learn because we didn't learn it at their age. So we're imagining that they might not understand or be ready. But I'm, I'm sure you know, having a seven-year-old, like they're amazing, you know? Yeah, and they, yeah, they really are. get it. They are. They really By the way, it. many greetings from Julia, my daughter. She would love to be part of the podcast, but I'm telling you, half of it, she will um, speak about her <laughs> <opinion>. <laughs> So I thought, no, but um, she says, hi. I totally hi, agree. Julia. Yeah. <laughs> she will be really happy when she will hear that. Um, I agree and I still don't know. And maybe we can have another discussion once. How can we implement this more and more into, into the school? Because it's such an important topic. Um, and so needed. And, you know, they are open now, but unfortunately some parts of our kids, um, they, during the education and the experience with the family and somehow they start to give up of their dream, as we mentioned before. And now is the moment when we can encourage them to. Yeah. To go and to the biggest plan. way, and let me tell you the biggest way. Tell the biggest me. way is for you to do the practices yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the biggest way. So many people are like, we want to get my kids to do this mm -hmm. and do that and do this and do that. And you're not doing it yourself. You know, and, and so the biggest way is for you to be an example, not just so they watch you meditate, partially that, but because the energy that you're cultivating in your life energetically, and this is not just like a woo-woo, you know, whatever concept, like you're affecting your kids and your family with how you show up in the world and in their lives, emotionally, physically, energetically. And so when we're taking care of ourselves, that automatically, automatically, because our, we already know scientifically and psycho psychologically, our kids learn from watching us. That's a fact, you know? And so if they're watching and, and their relationship with us and they learn from their attachment and relationship to us, if we're showing up with presence, if we're showing up taking care of ourselves and they learn right away that they're secure and they're safe and they're enough and they can come as they are and, and that they also learn that it's important for them to take care of themselves. You know, if they, if they always have parents who are throwing themselves under the bus, parents who are, you know, giving up their entire self-care and their entire practices for the sake of quote unquote the kids, we all know as adults, how did that work out for us? Not well. You know, so, so we have an opportunity to, to do something different than the generations past had, because we all now have access to this. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, moving back to the book. It's something that was really triggered me. We had the topic of uh, vision boards for um, a few episodes and um, my listeners, they were really interesting by this topic. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned here why most vision boards don't work. Can yeah. you tell me a little bit more about this? Yeah, of course. Um, so vision boards, I'll just say this. There's, there's a whole chapter on this. So it's kind of um, interesting to summar, summarize it. And it's right in the beginning. And the reason most vision boards don't work is because there is this part of the brain, I'm going to get a little sciencey with you all. So I'm like very spiritual, but I also love a little science to back it all up. Yeah, it's, per and, it's, a, it's a perfect combination. 
<laughs> Thank you. I think it's good because it helps I us really so understand too. what's happening. Because oftentimes people say, well, just trust that this works. But when you see what's actually happening neuro in, in the brain and everything, it's really cool. And so there's a part of our brain, I'll get a little geeky for a second, called the reticular activating system. It's the RAS. And the RAS, reticular activating system, focuses, its, its function is it focuses on the things that it thinks are important to keep us safe. And if we are stuck in our default mode, meaning we're stuck in the same pattern, same routine, same whatever, then our reticular activating system works in this same pattern. And even when you're trying to change, even when you're trying to grow, even when you're trying to evolve, it doesn't end up focusing on the things that actually help you change because change requires a rupture in your current safety, right? Or what you think is safety. And so in an, I'm trying to summarize this a little bit, but in a nutshell, what happens with vision boards is we're often focused on the physical thing that we're seeing on the board. We're so focused on, okay, let me put this car or this house or this money or this body or this picture of this, whatever it is, you know, family. And what we miss is the energetics that cause that thing to come to us in the first place. And, you know, so if you're like, I'm manifesting a car, well, the, it's the energy of who you are being. We talked about this a little bit before, who you're becoming that actually draws those things to you. And this sound like this law of attraction stuff, right? It sounds real woo-woo. It's not. This is how the reticular activating system works. When you start to shift at your level of being and who you are, what your reticular activating system looks for in the world becomes different. And that's where you start to actually change and shift. Because just taking this very practical level, the way it works is every day, every minute, we're seeing billions, millions of stimuli flying at us all day. And your reticular activating system's job, your reticular activating system's job is to process and say what's important and what's not. And whatever it thinks is important, it's going to keep and it's going to store it. And whatever it thinks is not important, it's going to throw away. But who and what is deciding what's important? That's the key. And so the truth is the answers to all of your questions are right around you all the time. The next step that you need in your journey to change is right around you all the time. But if you haven't changed at your level of being, then your reticular activating system is going to throw it away because it thinks that it's not needed. It thinks that it's going to make you unsafe. And so it's our energy that helps us get towards our vision and our goals, not just having items on a board. And so anyway, there's a lot to go into mm -hmm. with that in the chapter, but hopefully that, was that clear? Hopefully that Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's interesting. I just did um, recently an exercise uh, with a teacher. Um, I'm doing a yoga teacher training. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a very interesting exercise after a meditation. They were asking us to really write how we see our future. And I really add um, all the details, everything uh, on, on the visual map. And... Um, there were so many details, but it was yeah. something that was really missing besides the energy. It was actually the, the journey. Everything mm. was there, 
but what about the journey? Because I don't know, what do you think about? Maybe sometimes the goal is not the right one at the end. Maybe yeah. it's something else. What about the journey? And this it was something that I really miss, miss and uh, misunderstood and maybe even forgot. Yeah. So this is really important because the, what, what matters most is who you become in pursuit of the vision. That's what matters. You know, it's not the vision, like I said, coming true exactly as you see it. And so when we skip the part about the journey, we're skipping the becoming and you can't get to your vision being who you are now. The you that you are today can't be in your vision. You have to change. And that change happens through the journey. That change happens through the process itself. And so there's even things that I like to include when I'm writing my vision. So a couple of quick tips about this is, you know, one of the things that a lot of people do when they're writing a vision is they just focus on, let's say their, their vision board or their vision is just about their relationship, getting a perfect partner. And they forget to talk about in their vision, their work or their art or their passion or their health and wellness. And so what happens is they focus all of their energy on manifesting this partner, but then they let their relationships or their art fall apart when they find them, you know, or you focus your vision solely on money in your body. And then you end up working yourself so much that you lose the relationships in your life. So we have to first, like you said, have a well-rounded vision because everything is affecting every other part of our lives. And that relates to the journey, Karina, like you said, it relates to how will this journey, how would, what kind of energy would I like to take with me as I'm going through this journey? How would I like to experience the journey? What will happen? How will I show up when challenges happen in the journey? And that becomes like a, a manifesto or a cornerstone that you can keep coming back to now. And it's not just a vision board so that when a challenge comes up in the journey or when something happens in the journey, you go, okay, this is my vision. This is who I'm going to be in this process. Is that helpful? Yeah, I think so. Big time. Cool. Thank you. Cool. I, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I love this, um, what you mentioned about the money which is a very interesting topic in the discussion. Yeah. Money is not your God. It's a resource for you to use, not something to worship or praise. I yeah. love that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things in the book. My grandma, my baka actually taught me that. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And I hope that people can really understand this topic. I mean, sometimes it's difficult to, to understand it, but I hope they can really understand it. And um, I really love this... Um, idea of giving back as you are doing even uh, with the with the tour that you're organizing with uh, with the book thank you can you tell us a little bit more about the giving back how important is for us oh it's so important in every way and i don't just mean giving back in the way of charity which is important too i think we can give do charity and give back but even when I meditate, what I am doing in every practice is, you know, I am inhaling the energy that I want to cultivate in my life. And on every exhale, I'm exhaling and sending that same energy out to everyone who needs it in the world. 
And the law of receiving, the law of receiving is activated through the law of giving. That's how it's activated. And you'll see this, the people who have and enjoy and, you know, receive the most abundance, typically they're giving a lot, you know, in different ways. And I'm not just talking about financial abundance. I'm talking about in all ways of abundance. And so if you want to receive something in your life, whether it's love or abundance or happiness, then give more of that very same thing. And you'll see it come right back to you. Because one of my favorite quotes in my book, favorite, favorite quotes is, um, you get what you are, Mm -hmm. not what you want. You get what you are, not what you want. So if you want more of something, be more of that thing in your life and share it with the people that you love. I love it. I really love it. (laughs) I really, guys, I really recommend you to uh, buy this book and to support Justin with this uh, amazing uh, uh, projects that you are doing. I mean, it's so much to take out of the book, but I really let uh, our our friends to leave to our friends to really learn more, more from it because it's <laughs> it's very, very interesting. I would like to move um, on to a very, very um, beautiful article that you wrote, mm. Ending Racism, How to Change the World in One Generation. And I really have to say, I love that you mentioned one generation is not about we will never find we will never find a solution we can do it now and i really love i love that can you tell us more about it please yes of course thank you this was um, something that really came through me um during the the initial parts of the pandemic um really actually in like may may june july and you know i was reading all this incredible literature and work and videos and podcasts and social media and all these things about racism and and not just american racism but global racism you know we all have it in our different countries in our own ways and sometimes it's racism towards black people or african people and sometimes it's racism towards you know i you know i was in estonia and it was you know between the estonians and the russians and you know there's all these different ways that it happens you know german and jewish and these different ways and and one of the things that i noticed in most of what i was reading is that everybody was saying that racism was something that could never end in our generation that it couldn't end, that it was gonna be some lifelong fight, that we would have to be in this lifelong, every generation has to do their work. And there was this beautiful quote by John Lewis, um, who's a civil rights uh, leader um, who passed away this year actually um, in the United States, that said something along the lines of, you know, every generation must do our part. And the truth is, is what I realized is that if Every, first of all, our generation is exactly who was meant to be alive at this time. And what I mean by generation is those of us all together on the planet right now. I don't mean like Gen Z or millennials or whatever, us, you know, all of us. And because of the people who've come before us, because of the wars have been been fought and all the things, we actually have an opportunity to do something now that no generation has had the opportunity to do before. And if every generation keeps saying, well, 
one day some generation is going to have to end it, then who gets to finally take responsibility for doing it? And I think the ground has been prepared for us. We know enough now. We have resources, we have tools, we have education. And I think the reason why we're seeing what we're seeing in the world right now as it relates to race is because it is time for a boiling point and a change to happen. And I think we're the exact generation who has the opportunity to make this change, to not just talk about racism, but to end it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so beautiful. You know, um, I, um, I'm Romanian. And um, when I was living in Romania, um, in my country is the topic with gypsies. And mm. um, some years ago, I was, when I was living there, I really tried to understand what is really happening there. And uh, we went to a village with, um, with gypsy people and uh, we started to speak with them and we tried to support them. Unfortunately, um, some of them, they don't even have an ID unless it's their elections and they're uh, having some uh, political interests to have these IDs. Some of them, they don't have uh, the education because mm-hmm. they don't... They are not sent to the school. So we try to, to support that. And we try to really, um, depending on the age, um, support them with some trainings and, um, um, I don't know, make their dreams to become true. Some of them, they wanted to be chefs, for example. And they were so talented people. And they could really um, pass the, the test and they could really be very talented. And then we were organizing jobs, interviews for them. And they were have been refused because of the skin color and I was like you know it's 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 crazy it's like um and like you mentioned before it's happening in so many countries and it's now the time to to change this and it's just up to us and uh, of course, I would love to to add the link of uh, of your uh, article um uh be on the on the podcast because it's it's really beautiful and I was really happy to support you into this and I really hope that um, we all have to to support that and to really make a change. Um, we all do, you know, and I think um, one of the things that we did with the article that's been so amazing and thousands of people have taken part already and we're going to keep it spreading and keep it going is we created a pledge that goes with the article and it's called the Ending Racism Pledge. And it's a pledge that you just take, you just sign your name on it virtually and you get a little badge that you can then post on social media and and blast around that you've taken the pledge to end racism. And the article doesn't aim to say, here's the step-by-step plan to end racism because the truth is, I don't know what's gonna come up for you in your family, in your country, in your community. But when it arises, When the moment comes, little micro moments and even bigger moments, you will have the opportunity to either end racism or not. And when you take the pledge, you'll remember and you will. And the mission is to get as many people to sign the pledge as possible so that we can start spreading this message so that people can even consider. I think most people haven't even considered that racism could end. And it was interesting because when I kept seeing all the articles and things saying it can never end, it can never end, it can never end, even from positive people, my question was, well, why not? Why not? We've done amazing things in our lifetimes in humanity. Why not? And that question is a very different question 
than, you know, just continuing, continuing to stay perpetually in the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Justin, what are your dreams? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I have, I have some big ones and, um, a few of them I, I like to keep to myself of and, course. and, and I'll say this is, you know, our dream now is we talked about having our dream for our life and stepping into the big dreams of our lives. The same thing applies collectively, like uh, for our individual lives, for us to go into that space and try to dream into that space where things seem impossible. You know, we have to do that because if we can't think beyond our current circumstances, we can never, like how the hell could we ever live beyond our circumstances if we can't live, think beyond them? We have to think beyond them first. And this is works for our individual lives and our collective lives. What do we think is possible for our world? And my visions right now have a lot more to do with what I am hoping is possible for the world and then how I can show up to be a part of that. And, you know, then showing up in service of that with all of my gifts and and talents that I can, whatever I can uniquely bring to the table as a person. And so, you know, my vision right now has to do with so many of us coming together. I have this vision for, you know, I host this um, thing every Sunday called the kingdom, which is like a gathering of, of people. And it's, I tell people, imagine if like church and a Ted talk and Oprah's super soul Sunday had like a baby and all got smashed together and, and it's free and everybody comes together on Sundays. And I have this vision of all of us across our religions, across our countries, across our divides, like being together Mm -hmm. in one room with our own languages and like even saying our prayers or our intentions in our own languages out loud. So like we can really, truly not just talk about coming together, but actually come together. Um, that's one of my big visions for the next year. And when, when, at least when the world will allow Americans to travel again, you know, to come and, yeah. and, and do some work with people in person to really bring people together. And right now I'm doing it online, but I'm, I'm really excited for it to be in person again soon. The Power of Togetherness, a project that we actually, you are supporting uh, our project, um, omnes.life and uh, Mm -hmm. it was so beautiful and thank you so much for dedicating your time and people really love 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 you thank you uh, it was so beautiful and so powerful you know it was like people from all over the world just meet for a limited time and the power that you feel in that i i was almost every evening in tears because you can feel it i you feel it you feel Mm -hmm. it you you cannot you just have to to be there. So yeah, what you built, Karina, what you all built was so powerful and so important. I I I remember I remember my first time dropping into that space with Omnis.Live. and I was sitting right here in the same room that I'm in right now, and I got on the microphone and I closed my eyes and I I dropped into the energy and I felt whoa, you know, there are people from all over the world dropping into this space. And it's such a beautiful space that we all really need. So thank you for cultivating that. It really is such a gift to us all. Justin, Even we, we build it, not I build it. <laughs> we build it. And thank you for, for building it because mm. we did it together. And at the end, we, ha- we were more than 3,000 people in, wow. in a few minutes together from all over the world. And thank you. We did it together. We did. We did it together. <laughs> 
So I'm happy that um, you are doing this on Sunday. And um, again, I will uh, make sure to link all this <laughs> I'm giving you a lot of links. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, <laughs> but I think people love links. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, you have, do you have another one for me, Justin? No, I'm thinking. I'm like, do I have links for you? I'll, I'll put, so like we have the book, we have the give back tour, we have the article and we have the Sundays, right? I'll make sure I'll send them all to you. So you <laughs> Don't worry, everything is recorded. I can listen and make sure. <laughs> okay, um, we are we are going step by step at the end of our discussion. Uh, even though I would love to just spend with you hours, I know. But one I day know. we'll get that time. We will. Ah, yes. Uh, take care. This is recorded too, Justin. <laughs> um, if you are going back into the little Justin, what will be one thing that you will tell to yourself back in time? I would say, little Justin, little Justin, you are enough. <laughs> you are enough. You know, when I was a kid, I had so many things that I was so embarrassed about and ashamed of. And not because I think I was originally that way, but I just got teased and bullied so bad that I started to live my life based on other people's expectations and what I thought I needed to be or do to be loved and to be happy. And once I realized that true happiness comes from within and from being the full expression of your authentic self, my life changed in ways that are people would think are impossible, you know, from from literally growing up in a home with gunshot holes outside of my house to now traveling and speaking and teaching and being an author in top 20. Like people said that kids who grew up like me end up in jail, you know? And, and what I learned is that the things that I was so embarrassed about as a kid, the things that made me different are actually the things that made me unique. And now as an adult are the things that make me the most special and what people really look for. And I don't say that with any ego. I say it so that we, well, you know, maybe a little ego, but healthy ego, you know, <laughs> and like the, yeah. and, and the way that I say it is we are enough, you know, we are enough. And no matter how much trauma you've been through, no matter how much money you have in your bank account, no matter who you love, no matter what you're going through right now, you are enough, not for what you do or who you're trying to be, but for who you are are. And that's what I would make sure my younger self knows. I would have had a much easier childhood had I, had I, somebody told me that early on. I adore you, Justin. And I, I adore would you love, too. <laughs> I would love to give you a hug now. We had so many calls and so many talk and I all the time want to give you a hug. I really I hope. <laughs> I miss hugs. We're not even giving any hugs in the United States right now with COVID. It's so hard. <laughs> I want to give hugs too. One day we will meet and we will have a very long hug. I, I promise. promise. I promise too. It's recorded. <laughs> so it's going to happen. I know it is. Thank you so much, Justin, for today. And thank you for your time. And thank you for sharing all this beautiful wisdom that um, you share with us today. Thank you so much for, for being you. Thank you, you are welcome. So I am grateful. Thank you. Wow. What a conversation. Thank you so much, my dear Justin. I think what you are doing, it's so necessary and so beautiful. I wish you all the best and good luck with all your amazing projects. That was Justin Michael Williams, 
author, speaker, musician, and a beautiful soul. For more inspiring interviews like Justin's, head it over on iTunes Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening to now. I have many more surprises coming soon. If you like today's show, please share it with your friends, family, or community. I'm Krina, and you've been listening to the Krina Okumus Show.